And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, with The Athletic, a man who is a writer, but he has no type, Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing, man? Hey, big facts. I'm doing good, Kieran. Well, we just, uh, we're recording this on Sunday morning, so we're coming down from what was a, the best Saturday in Detroit Tigers recent history for baseball because, you know, they got two wins, had the uh, summer baseball bash, which from TV and from Twitter seemed like a roaring success, and had a one of the stranger walk-offs you'll you'll ever see. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start out with that before we go into some other topics. Uh, what'd you make of the environment and kind of the show that the Tigers put on, both promotionally and on the field yesterday? Yeah, uh, Sunday morning coming down is right. Shout out Chris Christofferson. It was a, uh, it, it was probably the best crowd I have seen at Comerica Park in my relatively short time covering the Tigers. Thirty-one thousand people were there, biggest crowd this year by far. Um, really, other than twenty nineteen opening day, I don't know if I've seen a bigger crowd. And the fact that the team has been playing well and it ended up being a good and dramatic game. Um, only helped juice the atmosphere. You had Phil Coke, one of the Tigers alumni in attendance up in the suite, just like banging on plexiglass. I was really worried he was going to break something. He might have broken something. I'm sure there were some stadium ops people like wanting to go tell him to stop, but you kind of couldn't tell him to stop because he was getting no the place so juiced. Um, it was it was really cool. You know, you had that, you win on a Miguel Cabrera walk-off, albeit a bloop single, not quite a roaring homer, but hey, it's it's all the same. You win the game. Derek Hill steals third um, in extras. It was a lot of fun. I like to think it was a little glimpse into this team turning the corner. Um, and just the idea of, wouldn't it be cool if it was like this every night? It felt like a Major League Baseball game. It felt like... You know, this is this is kind of why I'm here to do this job is to number one tell tell cool stories, number two to be around um, a real cool baseball atmosphere like that. That is, uh, you know, a moment where you feel connected with the team, you feel connected with the city, you can kind of sense things coming together. It helps that the Tigers were putting on their summer bash and had a big promotion and had some cheap tickets, but. Wouldn't it be nice if in a couple years uh, it's that type of environment at Comerica Park every night? Yeah, so you see those like on this day in 2012, on this day in 2014 videos that, you know, circulate through Twitter and, you know, walk-off hits or, you know, key plays, you know, pitching performances, all that stuff, and and they show the crowds and the the crowds are always, you know, packing into the stands. A very loyal fan base, Detroit in general, but the Tigers, you know, uh, is what we're talking about. And they, they pack America Park when that team's humming. And obviously, you know, team hasn't been humming. But as you said, there there's more promise here than we can say for, you know, several years. And it's nice to see, like, the fans getting into it because obviously, you know, I'm only watching on TV. I'm down here in Dallas. It's a little disheartening to like see it on TV, like barely anybody in the stands and like that, you know, that has an effect on the game, like, you know, immeasurable, but like, I'm sure Derek Hill and the entire team was hyped AF when he stole third and you got 31,000 people roaring or the, you know, as he, as he, you know, you know, gets into his stride, like that's, that's what sports is all about. And it's been, like I said, really disheartening to, you know, not see that the past several years. And the first game, I know, you know, with the, the postponement and, you know, all that stuff is a little bit different, uh, you know, ticket wise and all that stuff. But the first game Saturday, I was like, Oh God, this is awful. Like I, you know, I was not expecting anything like what happened in the second game because I just thought it's a Saturday at noon. I mean, uh, you know, maybe it was a little bit more complicated than that with, again, with the postponements and stuff, but it was kind of embarrassing looking. I'm not going to lie. And then more than made up for it on the, uh, on the second game and the Tigers did their job with, uh, with, you know, you had an extra inning game, had some uh, really exciting plays. You had the, you know, the franchise player, you know, one of the best players in franchise history, 
uh, come up with, you know, the game-winning hit, the walk-off hit. I mean, it couldn't have worked out more perfect. And the yeah. and the Akil Badu triple. We can't forget. We can't Akil Badu three RBI triple. The helmet comes off. That's what the people paid to see. No, you're right. The uh, the crowd for the first end of that double header was not good, and I had heard from some Tigers personnel that they were uh, expecting thirty thousand for the second game, and I was just kind of like, "All right, like sure," uh, but then it actually happens. So. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with that. And, um, you know, AJ Hinch said players were talking about it in the dugout. A lot of these younger guys have never played in front of a home crowd like that, you know, so they played in a brutal 2019 season or a pandemic season. And then this season for a lot of them, that was their first time to experience that atmosphere, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, being a major league baseball player and not playing in front of a home crowd like that. Um, AJ Hinge also remains a PR genius started off his press conference, you know, shouting out the fans and a lot of coaches shout out the fans, but I think it was some of the specific things he said that really resonated. You know, he said, we're going to earn their respect. And I think, uh, I, I think Tigers fans who have been paid a lot of lip service over the past few years, um, probably appreciate that. Just the fact Hinch is acknowledging that, yeah, we have to win. We have to, uh, put a good product on the field you know, to make it worth fans time and money to come to the ball game. Uh, but then he said it's a step in the right direction for the entire organization to have an environment like that. And I think he's absolutely right. Again, you could just, I'm, I'm sure for AJ Hinch, it was rewarding. A guy who's taken this job, taken over kind of this daunting rebuild. There have probably been days where AJ's like, man, maybe I should have waited another year and gone and managed the Yankees or something. You know, I, I'm sure he's had nights where like that thought has entered his mind. Most of all, uh, April, I'm sure. <laughs> April for sure. Uh, so I'm sure it was, it was a nice feeling for him to think, okay, this is, this is what we could be building here. This is why, this is why sometimes doing the hard thing can be worth it. And, you know, this is not like a Tigers promotional podcast, but credit where credit is due with that marketing department with uh, implementing the other Detroit teams. Uh, obviously, yeah. as a guy who who's a fan of all those teams, I really like seeing like Dwayne Casey and and Bashel and and uh, Isaiah Stewart and Jack Jack Fox, Romeo Quara. Like it, it was really cool to kind of see the sports teams kind of you know crossing it, it, it for lack of a better term and. Uh, Jim Leland made an appearance. Doug Fister. You mentioned Phil Coke. Uh, I, I don't know if I, that's all. That's all I can remember off the top of my head. But Mickey it, Lolich was there. Mickey Lolich made a rare appearance. Some other guys from the '84 team. Dave Rosema. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good crowd. Yeah, I mean, I it, it all came together in a perfect way. So, um, you know, Leland's not a stranger to uh, to to Tigers. Uh, he works for the organization still, but. Anytime you see him, man, he's just—he's—he's he's just a hoot. He's just—I'm gonna use a word from his generation. He's a hoot, like with, hoot. With, with his, with his, uh, with his outfits and you know, and the way he—he he looks like the happiest man on the planet, dude. He always does. It's always good to he's, see Jim Leland. He's, uh, uh yeah, I, I love Jim Leland. I think, you know, if you actually look at his life story, it's amazing. This guy spent twenty plus years in the minor leagues before he ever. Uh, coached a big league game like he was a grinder he lived alone was not uh, married until later in his life and you know here he is now in retirement looking like the happiest guy ever looks younger than he did when he was when he was managing the Tigers um, and yeah so so a few Jim Leland things because he's a hoot uh, Jim came up in the press box and and greeted all the writers uh, and uh, he shook my hand and we just kind of made small talk like you would when you're like talking to an older person, you know, and talked about like the weather and the flooding and stuff. <laughs> and um, before the game, all the alumni uh, had like a, a, a kid. I think they're like youth baseball players. They walked out on the field um, with a kid. And I just thought it was interesting from up far. You could see Leland was, was holding the kid's hand and like, just looking down, like making eye contact, talking to the kid. He just seemed far more engaged than not that the other guys weren't, but you could just see Leland like really, uh, 
taking an interest in this kid that he had to like stand by for the pregame induction. Um, that's probably a story that, that, that kid will always have. And something about just his body language, the, the way I could tell he was interested kind of stood out to me. It was pretty cool. And then later in the game, I'm, uh, you know, it's between innings. I get up to go to the bathroom or whatever. And I see Leland by the, um, like the freezer full of ice cream and I see him go right hand and he grabs one ice cream sandwich. I'm like, all right. And then I see him go left hand. He grabs two ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> so Jim Lee is in here with three ice cream sandwiches. And I'm like, treat yourself, man. Second thought was like, probably should have like came back for the additional ones. Cause those things are going to melt. I'm not sure you're going to have to really hurry to devour all three of those. Um, but he got to hang out at the ballpark. He got to wear his like aqua green shorts and he downed three ice cream sandwiches. It must be nice to be Jim Leland. Yeah. I, the, the unanswerable question, I think we need an investigative story about did they melt? Uh, did he get brain freeze? If so, <laughs> did he, uh, did he light up a torch in order to uh, cure the brain freeze? I, I, I think, Big J journalist Cody Stavenhagen needs to find out. The people want to know. You're right. I'm surprised his, like he has any taste buds left <laughs> at all from all those years of smoking. Um, I didn't see, I did not physically witness Jim Leland smoking this weekend, although last time the White Sox were in town, he was chatting with his old pal Tony LaRusa way before the game, and, and he was indeed puffing on a heater. Um, <laughs> Hey, you do you, Jim. You, you yeah. do you. So, uh, so outside before the the games occurred, the Tigers made a couple moves. Uh, one that I would say was very predictable, and we had talked about it. We had talked about it for a couple weeks, and one that you know, I, I don't, maybe surprise is is too strong of a word, but kind of like, huh, okay. So they DFA Nomar Mazzara. That was the writing was on the wall for a long time. Uh, according to the TV broadcast or the radio broadcast, I can't remember which one. Apparently, Mazzara was a total pro about it. Um, understood, you know, the situation and and all that stuff. So for that's worth. And optioning Willie Castro to Triple A. Uh, I did not necessarily see that coming, but the the reasons for it are obvious. So uh, just b- before we get into the replacements for those guys what'd you make of, of those two moves yeah I, I wasn't surprised by either of them we've talked about it on this sh- podcast before it was it was time with Mazzara they gave him a pretty extended rope to try to get something going and it just wasn't happening I think in one game Derek Hill showed why he can be more productive um, even if he's not you know hitting the cover off the ball I mean the fact that he you know, uh, the pitcher came inside and Hill was down 0-2 and he just kind of turned and wore the pitch and, you know. Uh, Big play, 0-2, two outs. 0-2, uh, two outs, set the tone for uh, Kiel Badu's triple, I believe. Yeah. Oh, Derek yeah. Hill was not afraid to get get a bruise on his leg. Uh, if it meant it got him first base and it ended up resulting in the Tigers getting three runs. So we talk about the steal, we talk about his catch. The fact that he sat there and wore a pitch that he probably could have got out of the way of um, was a huge moment in the game. Uh, and and so, yeah, you see the value there. You see why it was time to move on from Mazzara. Just having Hill in center field is such a massive upgrade to this team's defense as well. Um, glad to see that happen. With Willie Castro, it was not so much of a sure thing, but I wasn't surprised by the move. Um, I actually think it probably should have happened earlier. I think, you know, he's just been struggling at the plate. Hasn't been the hitter he was last year. The defense has been eating him up. He's had to uh, switch to second. It hasn't gone well at second. His, you know, defensive run saves the worst in the league. Um, sometimes, you know, he looks a little bit better around the bag, turning double plays, but... The fact of the matter is he's not a good infielder. I think it's a classic case of you need to send the guy down, let him clear his head. You're probably not sending him down forever. You, you probably hope he gets hot and you can bring him back up and he can get you some hits in the uh, in the big leagues. But I think it was time. I also think this second half, you kind of need to see something from Isak Paredes. As talented as he is, as, as much as we can like him at times, 
he's got to start showing you he can hit in the major leagues when you start thinking about how you're going to assemble next year's roster. So I think seeing what Paredes can do and Zach Short to some extent, seeing how those guys factor in for next year is an important thing to get out of this second half. And one more note on Willie Castro. A.J. Hinch says they're going to focus on continuing to play him at second base down in Toledo. I wonder if that's even worth the time. Um, I think it's pretty clear that he's just not a good infielder. He's had plenty of time to figure it out. This has been his rep since before he was even called up to the major leagues in 2019. I wonder, it's been talked about, Ron Gardenhire uh, experimented with it, never did it in a game, but had briefly had Willie Castro taken some balls in left field. I wonder if that's kind of his only hope. Now, if you move him to a corner outfield spot, you really need him to hit. There's more of a demand that he hit as opposed to playing second. I don't know how he factors in long-term if you move him to the outfield but I also don't know how he factors in long-term if he's going to be the worst defensive infielder in the league. So I am in favor of moving Willie Castro to the outfield. I think this infield experiment has gone on uh, long enough, and, and it's just pretty clear it's not working. Well, yeah, and the bottom line is, no matter where you play him, if he's not hitting, he's not playable. Yeah. And and the, the, the outfield makes some sense, but, like... It, Outfield's a premium hitting position, uh, especially a corner. And if and if he's not going to be able to, you know, be something close to to what we saw last year, or even I mean, think how crazy it is. Think you know, we all knew last year wasn't sustainable. Then he pops off spring training with a home run, and and that and you know, not six months later he's sent down the AAA. I mean, talk about a decline, and I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to drag on him. By the way, he's 24 years old. I always think that's important to know whenever we're sort of like projecting these guys. He's 24, so he he's not at the range of like, like with Jacoby Jones or whatever, where it's like, all right, it's if it's not here now, it's not really ever gonna happen. Uh, he's 24. He's young. Seems like a guy that the team that his teammates like. Uh, it's also probably not easy to go out there every day and struggle the way he has. Not just at the plate. People go through that all the time. But to really struggle in the field and you're, like, exposed and you're sort of, like, in a way kind of out on your island. Like, that's, you know, all those eyeballs on you, everyone talking about you. Like, it's it, it, it can't be a good feeling. So I like what you said with the mental reset of going down the Toledo and there'll be some familiar faces there for whatever that's worth, and he can kind of just get back to just trying to play baseball. Um, but the the options, in my opinion, are kind of running thin, especially when you think about projecting the lineup for the, the next couple years. Like it, it it'd be hard. It, it was gonna be hard to fit him in anyway, and then you throw in all these struggles. I mean, it's it it, it the the. The stock is very low right now, is what I'll say. But I, I wanted to come back to uh, Paredes. I just... I, I like his approach. I think he's handled the transition to second base pretty dang well, um, all things considered. Uh, he seems like a, a guy who has fun out there playing baseball. He looks like a natural baseball player. He just kind of has that gait and that flow. Uh, he just... At what at what point are we going to stop talking about his promise? Uh, I think we kind of yeah. I think we kind of got to do it now. Uh, like like uh, he's no longer a promising guy. Like can you do it? Can can you give me an indication that you can do it? I uh, I just think we need to sort of like transition our Paredes talk as uh you know to like. All right, so let's see what you can do as opposed to oh, here's the best and you know here's a number four prospect in the system type deal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I, I wonder if at some point Prades we almost started hyping him too much or the organization started touting him too much. Maybe because he was the number four, number six prospect, and you think oh, like best infielder in the system, blah blah blah. If you really look. He doesn't have a track record of being a big slugging guy. He can hit the ball. He can get on base. Uh, but I don't know 
I think we were always pegging him as a little more of a power hitter than he ever really was. And that's the thing he's not shown at the major league level um, is the ability, the ability to slug, the ability to find barrels, um, to get extra base hits. It just hasn't really come together. And, uh, you know, he's still really young. I think it would be foolish to write him off, but I think maybe resetting expectations a little bit might be useful. As I said, you, you need to see something from him. You need to have faith that he can be uh, part of this roster next year, maybe even as you're uh, close to everyday second baseman or third baseman. And right now, I don't think we have quite the confidence to say that. Um, it's interesting because this is a, a talented guy, a guy that the Tigers want and need to be a part of the long-term future. Um, I think he's too young to say it's like make or break because we've seen with like Jake Rogers, Jamer Candelario, Willie Castro, like these things aren't linear. They're never as simple as you want them to be. Sometimes it takes a while for guys to just hit their stride and start to click. Um, but yeah, all things considered, it's like, okay, if you're, if you're such a great hitter, like it's time to start doing it at, at the big leagues. That's why I like that. He's going to get an extended look here with Willie Castro going down. I think he needs kind of some extended time, um, and to not feel like, oh, he's at risk of getting sent down or, oh, he's just kind of up here, you know, for the time being, I, I think this will be a good and important opportunity for him. And, and I, and I want to be clear uh, about what my previous statement was. I want to see indication. Like yeah. I, like I, I, and I know you didn't interpret it this way, but I don't want anyone out there to think I'm saying Paredes is make or break right now. I just want to see indications of fulfilling that promise and you know it is kind of funny how like he was the gem of the trade from the cubs and candelario was just kind of a guy and you know who's who's more uh, stable right now i mean it's not even a conversation it's candelario well that leads into a whole other thing <laughs> we talk about non-linear jamer and how many times have we kind of flip-flopped on on jamer just this season alone yep. and now i'm looking at his numbers and i'm like okay this guy's gonna be getting five, six million in arbitration. Like, ugh, I don't know about that. Is again, is he? I don't think you can trade him because he is like still a suitable bat, the type of bat you'd be looking to acquire. Um, but again, like, okay, is this is this guy your answer at third base or not? We still don't have a completely uh accurate read on that with Jamer and just when I thought he was really breaking through and proving it he kind of went through a slump his power has just never come around like I thought maybe it would uh to the point he he still kind of represents a conundrum for the next couple of years just in terms of in part because he's played just well enough to uh to stick around and to be an everyday player but not well enough consistently to really solidify himself as the future um, but if you move on from Jamer, like right now, there's no indication that Paredes will be a more productive player. So that's, that's where just roster building, that's where evaluating these guys gets tricky and it'll eventually sort itself out on the field as much as we like to sit here and, and overreact week by week on the podcast. I know you've only gotten to see it in spurts, but just overall, what do you, what do you think of, uh, Paredes middle infield defense? and his, uh, his middle infield defensive projection. I've been really impressed. I feel uh, a little bad for doubting his ability to play second base. Um, I, you know, I don't think he'll ever have quite the mobility to be a shortstop, really. But, you know, you know, if you have to play him at short for a game here and there, he's probably capable of it. At second, I think he's looked really good. I think he's, I mean, especially if you compare him to Willie Castro, like Isak Paredes is your better defensive second baseman. Um, his hands are quick. His feet are good. He maybe not have the greatest range, but his range really hasn't been an impediment. And he's been tested in some of the big league games he's played up the middle and he's made some, he's made some fine plays. I think he is absolutely proved he can handle second base um i'd like to maybe see how his metrics play out like given a bigger sample at second but i i mean i see a guy who if he hits could play second base every day i've been really impressed with his actions 
um, as a guy who appreciates good infield play and good infield technique. Like, uh, he's not quite Zach Short, but, you know, he and Zach Short just have the hands and the feet of good infielders, and uh, and that's something the Tigers need. Yeah, for sure, and, and, and Zach's getting more of a, of a look now with uh, Nico Goodrum being added to the injured list uh, with calf strain. Is that is that a calf uh, contusion, I believe. Ooh, so he got hit there or something? He, uh, yeah, he fouled the ball off his calf um, before the All-Star break, and it kind of lingered, and there's some sort of medical term, AJ Hinch used that I don't even know how to spell or say, but he basically has, like, internal bleeding makes it sound worse than it is but like there's bleeding in his calf that has like created this soreness uh and it it hasn't like gone away yet or something like that so it's been like this lingering bruise slash bleeding that doesn't sound fun to deal with he was he was scratched we he was supposed to be in the starting lineup uh saturday we saw him come off the field with the trainer grab his helmet and and kind of had an indication he was going to be scratched before the game so um yeah he's going he's already on the il that that leads us back to victor reyes another guy who's up and down you know non-linear development what is victor reyes exactly i i think we have an idea of that maybe his ceiling is not super high but where does he fit in this organization long term it's still not 100 percent clear am i being a prisoner of the moment or does it does it kind of seem like the tigers have had a a pretty significant run of injuries, like like more than nor- more than normal, oh, you would absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think injuries across the league have been higher than usual this year. I think it is some sort of residual effect of of last year's pandemic season, especially with pitchers. Um, but the Tigers suddenly have been hit as severely as any team. The amount of pitching injuries uh, this team has suffered is insane. Jose Urania is now on the IL, so the Tigers have. Casey Mize with restricted innings, Tarek Skubal, who will face an innings restriction, Matt Manning, who's uh, really shouldn't be in the major leagues right now. He's kind of up because the Tigers needed an arm. Um, and then Willie Peralta, who wasn't even on anyone's radar a month ago, is kind of like now your only fully available starting pitcher. I think Tyler Alexander is about to move back into the rotation and we're going to have to keep seeing some bullpen days. There are injuries in the bullpen, so we're going to see some mixing and matching there, and, and it's hit the position players too. It really has been a difficult rash of injuries, and especially with the pitching situation, it's going to make things difficult um, really until you get Boyd, Fulmer, Turnbull back. If you if you get all three of those guys back, it's it's – there's a little bit of a gray area with exactly what's going on with Boyd and Turnbull right now. Seems like Fulmer is on a, uh, a better track and could be back, you know, maybe by the end of this month. But it's been brutal. In, in the words of Olivia Rodrigo, it's brutal out here. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, probably the guy who gets the most TV time outside of AJ. And he might get more TV time than Fetter. Uh, Doug Teeter, man, the he- like he's going out to the field <laughs> all the time. I mean, it ended up not being a thing, but in the in the first game yesterday, uh, Scope gets hit because he's not positioned right on the on the base. He gets a knee to the elbow um, that looked like it could have been, you know, nothing serious, but you know, probably hurt a lot, you know. And here comes Doug. Doug's yeah. got to come out with his Bill Belichick sweater and. And his, uh, what I assume, are Oakley sunglasses. I mean, he's he's been a busy man. I mean, you... oh yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's getting in his steps for sure. And uh, Eric Haas got you know hitting the crown of the helmet with a ninety-four mile an hour fastball. Really scary moment. Luckily, Haas was Haas is uh, just fine, but he had to come out for that. So yeah, we're not even counting the close calls that could have been could have been much worse. When Scope went down, I was like, oh man, if Scope. Scope is not the guy you want to get hurt right now. I don't know if he'll end up being traded. It's a tough call for the Tigers because he's won an expiring deal. But I was like, if you're Al Avila and you see Scope get injured right now, you, you know you've got to be, uh, you get just got to be beside yourself. Luckily, he was he was fine, but he's the guy probably with your highest trade stock right now. And and uh, I, everyone was holding their breath a little bit when um, you know when he went to the turf. Well, let's let's go into let's go into scope right now because as you said, he's their number one trade chip if you wanna if you wanna call him that. He's certainly the number one hitting 
uh, trade chip and you know what can you do the, we haven't really had that much action and trades in baseball yet but we did get one this week and when it happened I thought you know is there a parallel there so Jock Peterson the Cubs are about to sell everything like the Cubs are about to go in full sell mode so this will not be the last move that they make. What they lose at one point, like eight straight games, nine straight. I think it, I think it got to eleven. Eleven straight games. I mean, you talk. They. I think they were kind of thinking they might be contenders, and then that happened. They're you know they're get they're pulling out the rug now. So it's the first of what I assume will be several trades the Cubs make. Jock Peterson to the Braves. Uh, Braves obviously had a need for an outfield bat after uh, Ronald Acuna uh, tore his ACL and in, in a play that. Um, you know, just normal baseball play and didn't even look all that bad. It just kind of second step landed wrong and, and he was down. It was, you know, terrible for him, obviously, and terrible for baseball. He's one of the young, exciting faces of the game. So so the Braves made a move uh, to get Peterson and they gave up a guy who apparently was their number 12 prospect in their system. So I thought, okay, you got an expiring deal and you have like a positional need because of injury those are elements that could lead to a Jonathan Scope trade and Scope is having a better year than Jock Peterson um, and he is a better defender and certainly a more versatile defender Uh, is that somewhat of a benchmark because with the trade deadline, it's all about markets, right? It's like, what's the market for this kind of player? What's the market for giving up this? What should you ask for? And that's our first indication of market. So the, the number 12 prospect, you did a story this week in The Athletic where you kind of broke down some teams who might have interest in guys the Tigers might have interest in trading. And so why don't you why don't you plug that story and then we'll kind of go deeper in, into those sort of situations uh what what made you identify those particular teams uh what did you what made you think like they'd be willing to move like what went into producing that story because it wasn't just scope it was with the bullpen arms as well uh yeah what went into producing this story is i was told i had to write something about the trade deadline um uh, <laughs> so i did it was probably maybe Good not employee. my maybe not my finest work but i was just kind of thinking what am i curious about and i was like well we have all these guys that may or may not get traded and um there really have not been a lot of rumors or or you know the rumor mill has still been really quiet so i felt like i didn't have a lot new to add so I was just like, okay, if they were to make a trade, maybe it would have been more interesting for to readers to come up with like these hypothetical trades. But I don't and like you doing can just that. Shoot if, them down. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't like doing that unless I know it's something that teams are actually discussing, or if I'm like, you know, oh, what if, uh, what if they trade Jonathan Scope for C.J. Abrams to the Padres? Well, it's like, okay, that's like not gonna happen. So why are we? Why are we entertaining it? That I think that's how you get rumors out there that aren't actually substantive and it's actually not productive, even though it might be more interesting. So anyways, like if they were to make a trade, who are some potential suitors with scope? I think the White Sox are a big one. Nick Madrigal's out for the year. They they really need help at second base. Uh, when they were playing the White Sox before the break, I was just thinking like, put scope on the other team and the White Sox look, you know, uh, he's kind of the piece they need. Now they might be chasing uh, some bigger fish there and, and maybe could end up rearranging their infield if they could, I don't know if they'll be in on Chris Bryant or what, but uh, if they miss out on a couple guys like that, I, I think even if they don't, I think scope makes so much sense there. You know, you've got the Astros who desperately need bullpen help. They'll again be chasing, a lot of arms, but I think I don't think the Tigers will trade Gregory Soto. Although it's interesting because he's probably a guy that could get you a little bit in return. I think Jose Cisnero makes more sense to trade because he's 32 and good as he's been. The chances of him being productive the next time the Tigers are say in the playoffs are pretty slim. Whereas Soto could be a legit part of your future. Um, the Reds have a lot of needs. Definitely the bullpen. Um, the Phillies have bullpen needs and 
have some interesting three of their top six prospects are shortstops. There's a little bit of a, some depth there that maybe the Tigers could be interested in. You know, the A's need help. I think the, the Red Sox need a bat. Um, they need first base more than anything, but Scope's shown he can play some first base. Um, he's, he's honestly going to be one of your better options out there, and he could still play a little bit up the middle. The Padres need a bat. I don't know if Scope completely fits what they're looking for, but um, he might be a guy who could be discussed. So those are just a few of the options. That's It's probably not an end-all, be-all list. Um, but that's kind of an overview. Um, so I think you're right in that we're still waiting for this trade market to set itself. Uh, and that comes with you know, more action and more rumors. And we see what teams are asking for, what they're getting in return. The Peterson trade... I wonder because Peterson, because the Cubs are in this teardown mode, like they were going to trade Peterson for whatever they could get. The Braves were pretty desperate, needed a bat. They made a they made a deal. I you know I think when you're talking about guys like Chris Bryant, um, the Cubs are although I think they're going to trade him, I think they're going to have a little bit of a higher price tag. So Peterson just wasn't like their top priority. He was going to be gone no matter what because he was on an expiring deal. Um, I didn't think they got a great return for a pretty good player. Could the Tigers get a little more for a guy like Scope? Maybe, but I think the reason, and, and I'll turn it over to you here in a sec here, and the reason it's just tricky is like he's on an expiring deal. There's not a huge benefit to keeping him, but what are you going to get in return? And uh, that that's why these executives, like him or not, get paid the big bucks. It's to make some hard decisions like that. Well, so after you published that story, I went and I looked at the teams that you identified as having infield needs, and I kind of looked at their prospect list, and we don't have to go through all of them because these are names that no one's ever heard of, but you kind of <laughs> develop a little bit of a theme when you're looking at uh, like the number 10, the, like the 8 to 12-ish ranked prospect according, and this is just according to MLB Pipeline, uh, so for whatever that's worth. Those players are either like triple A guys who probably will get bumped up and be at best like average uh, major leaguers, at best, probably not, probably a little bit below average, but suitable. Uh, the type of players that the Tigers have tried out there for several years now. Uh, <laughs> and, or. It's like the 17-year-old international signing, the the 18-year-old international signing who's playing rookie ball, who is in A ball, who's like projection to get to the major leagues is like 2025, and and I don't have an answer to this. I I, I don't claim to, but I, I kind of think that's at least a worthwhile uh, venture to go down if you're gonna trade away a guy that like Scope who is good, but isn't going to get a huge hole. I, I don't mind just kind of throwing throwing some at the wall and see if it sticks and getting another young prospect that maybe you could develop in your system if you if you like uh, if you like your developmental coaches and, and your process as an organization. I kind of like that idea because I think you, you need as many bites out of the apple as you can get and scope is not doing he's not doing that right because that's not he's already an established good major league baseball player. So I don't I like that in theory, but I don't have like a hard opinion on it. But I I tend to value that a little bit more than you know like a journeyman reliever that you can just kind of use and you know we'll forget about them in in a couple uh, in in a year or two. I I think I'd rather at least try to get somebody in the system who could develop into an average major league player. And especially if they're young and you can kind of, they're still moldable. I kind of like that idea, but it's also one of those things where, you know, you're not going to get any ROI for years. And is that like, is, is that really like a good selling point when you do yeah. make a, a trade of a good, productive, popular player like Scope? I don't know. At this point in the rebuild, I don't think it is. I think you need a guy who's either close to the big leagues or, in an ideal world, maybe you get a major league player. Like maybe you get another bullpen piece or um, some kind of infield depth. I think that'll be tricky because contenders aren't going to be trading anyone off their MLB roster that they think you know is is a 
is productive, but I think that would be an ideal return for scope. I just don't know if you're going to get it. Uh, I think there's a large sect of the Tigers fan base that wants to see scope re-signed, and that is another option. Granted, they could trade him and still try to sign him this offseason. I don't think they're going to, say, give Scope a two-year extension next week. And I'll tell you why. Jonathan Scope just switched his agent. Uh, he's now represented by uh, Scott Boris. And if I'm Scott Boris, I'm thinking Scope's having a great year. Let's see what is, you know, he's 29. This is kind of his chance to get paid a little bit here before he heads into his 30s. Um you want to see what his numbers are like at the end of the year. If he finishes as a three and a half or four win player, you know, he could be commanding more than $10 million this winter. So unless the tiger, and if you're the tigers, I don't think you need to, you're going to pony up 10 mil on Jonathan scope right now. Cause what if he has a terrible second half? You know, uh, I think it's, it's, it's tricky. I, there, I see no way he would sign like an extension before the season is over. I think the best thing for him financially is probably going to be to hope you have a strong second half and then play the market a little bit um, this winter. Maybe he could still end up being a Tiger. That could be um, an interesting move. But if you're the Tigers, if you really want a shortstop, if you really want Carlos Correa, how much money are you going to allocate to uh, a 29-year-old Jonathan Scope? This is why it's tricky. You start looking at these prospects. The Tigers' number 12 prospect is Christian Santana, a guy who's like 17 years old. Their number 13 prospect is Cody Clemens. Would you trade, if Clemens were on another team, would you trade Jonathan Scope for a Cody Clemens type player? Maybe. But I wouldn't feel great about yeah, it. You yeah, know? It would require a good sell job. Yeah. You know? Well, I was... Uh... I was going to say something that I think people need to kind of keep remembering and, and I'll bang this drum anytime it's it's relevant. These players lost money last year. This is true. And so anytime they're coming up on free agency, their number one priority honestly should be to just get as much money as you can because, you know, because like I said, they lost half of their salary last year give or take or whatever and not to mention that if with the short season if they couldn't get into the routine they normally would with like 162 they couldn't like hit that stride at at game 50 or whatever it, like they struggled like so there's like opportunity cost lost as well you know so uh i think john like i would 1000 percent tell jonathan scope don't sign any extension like yeah. i like i think that would kind of be personal financial malpractice to be honest with you and so when when we when we're getting into the offseason whether it's trevor story or carlos correa or any of these guys any of these arms any of these shortstops they're all going there's no hometown discount that will be had anywhere anywhere because again they lost out on all this money and some of them maybe didn't get the numbers they wanted because of the shortened season and all that stuff so i think that's something that we got to you know, always keep in mind when when we're trying to think like what what a what a player would do, what a player should do, and how an organization too should approach it. Uh, I also want to get on the record that I'm not really, unless you can come to me with an offer, I'm not really all that interested in trading Gregory Soto. Like I just it it doesn't really appeal to me. You would have to really give me somebody that looks as sure of of a thing like prospect wise or whatever like a guy that was playing in the futures game or something like it it just Gregory Soto is exactly the type of player that organizations need to have to prove that what they're doing is correct like what they're doing is right is that you bring a guy in and uh it's a little bit bumpy maybe he has to come up before he's ready because of this that the other thing and you, and you kind of ride it out and you you manage him, you coach him up, and then he becomes an all-star. And so maybe his market is hotter than perhaps it ever will be, but that but that's a organizational success story that they have there. And I think you need those kinds of guys in addition to a trade, in addition to like, you know, a marquee free agent signing and all that stuff. You need some of these homegrown guys to be able to uh essentially prove what you're doing is correct and and 
like I said, he's one of the better success stories they have on the team. Cisnero, thank you, thank you for your service. Like I, I think he's he, I think he's good, but I don't know if they'll ever if he'll have a market higher than the way he's pitching this now. This is probably hit the peak of his market for it, sure. And and I guess the I guess the, the defense of not trading him is like, uh, have you seen the injured list for pitchers? That's real. And, That's real. You know, and so like we're gonna give up one of our more valuable, more versatile arms uh, that we use in key situations, like he did yesterday. Uh, it just, I could see maybe that's prisoner of the moment, but I could see AJ being like, God, I really don't want to have to like get an unreliable or an untested arm up here to have to use in those situations. That being said, it's probably a smarter move to trade him. I, it's not exactly the same thing, but it kind of reminds me of Shane Green a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where it like, this team is not a contender. Obviously they were way worse a couple of years ago, but this team is not a contender. Uh, it doesn't really do you any good to have like the saves leader <laughs> on your team. <laughs> so you might as well trade, you know, see what you can get for, uh, for him or whatever. But the Soto thing, I, again, you would have to, you would have to really bring me a great offer for me to even entertain it. Because I just think left, left-handed arms that throw gas that you, that have proven to be able to have some success in uh, crucial situations I mean, they don't just grow on trees, dude. Yeah, the, the reason I've even included Soto in, in that story in these discussions is because he's really good. I guarantee you the Tigers will receive some calls about Soto. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, those when A.J. Hinch said on MLB radio, like, you don't just to get to come get our bullpen arms for nothing. I would imagine that Soto was one of the things he was referencing. The Tigers aren't in complete teardown mode where they're just trading anybody now. You can't just say... Hey, you guys are bad. How about you give us your best reliever? Like that's probably not going to happen. He is a guy who, if anyone could command an intriguing trade, Soto would be in those discussions. But I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think the chances of that actually happening are super, super slim. Um, I didn't include a guy like Robbie Grossman in my article. You know, there might be some teams interested in Robbie Grossman. I'd like to think the Tigers signed him to a two-year deal because they think he's going to they want him here for two years. You talk about winning culture, you talk about trying to contend next season. I think Grossman makes a lot of sense to um, remain on this roster, but you know, another guy that the Tigers maybe could field some calls about there. So I I have a sense that a week from now, we're going to know a lot more. We're going to start hearing some rumors. We're going to have a better sense of what this market is going to be like. I think best case scenario for the Tigers, kind of like that Shane Green trade. Like the Braves got very desperate. I think they missed out on a couple of other relievers they were trying to acquire. You ended up getting Joey Wentz, and and Travis Demerit was kind of a throwaway in that trade. Um, But Joey Wentz for Shane Green, I, I still think is a pretty good return if you could get something like that for Cisnero, although he's older. Um, if a team gets kind of pressed and really needs relief help close to the deadline, if you could nab a, a pretty promising prospect for Cisnero, I think that would be a productive trade. So let's go into the draft. So the last time we talked, it was right after the Tigers had taken Jackson Job. Uh, we talked about initial fan reactions. We gave our initial reactions. And then, obviously, the rest of the draft uh, went through the next couple days. Uh, so, I'll first ask this. Now that the dust has settled, what do you make of, and, and you've heard from team personnel and, and Jackson, what do you kind of make of the selection, Job, at number three? Yeah, it's obviously kind of polarizing for Tigers fans, especially because Marcelo Meyer fell and he was available there. Uh, I think we, we speculated about it some um, on our draft pod last week, but it seems like Job was going to be the Tigers guy no matter what. They had, yeah, already kind of uh, worked out a handshake deal with him. I think they had worked out a handshake deal with him in part because they were dead set on drafting him no matter what. I don't know how much money might have played into that, being able to go under slot on Job as opposed to maybe over slot or full slot for Meyer, but Job was, it's, it sure seems like he was number one on their draft boards by 
uh, by the end of the draft process, the more reporting and research I've done again, like I get it. I almost admire how risky it is. The whole high school arm thing is, is interesting because it is risky. Just percentages numbers tell you that any high school player is more likely to, to bust or to get injured or to just not develop the way you want. So that's concerning. Um, it, it's kind of interesting, like, how do you balance the analytics of it with uh, with the human side of it and your scouts? Like, not every high school player is the same. That's like a few years ago saying, oh, well, you can't draft a quarterback from an air raid system. Well, you know, uh, Pat Mahomes has worked out okay, and now, now that's no longer taboo in the NFL. Just because it didn't work for some guys, like, not all high school pitchers are created equal. Some of them are stars. It is risky thinking, oh, you're, we found the guy who's going to be the star. Every team that drafts a high school pitcher thinks that. We found the exception. But a couple guys are the exceptions. And how do you figure out who's the exception? You got to trust your scouts. You have to trust your interviews with the kid. Um, I don't, I don't hate the pick. I, I don't know. It's tough taking him over Meyer. I think if Meyer wasn't there, I would I would really have no problem with this selection at all, especially that Jack Leiter, the best college pitcher, was off the board. Um, Job and Meyer are going to be compared to each other for a long time here. Um, you know, we'll see. If Meyer turns into a productive major league shortstop, it's interesting. Who has the quicker timeline to the bigs? I don't know. I think that's another thing. I think the pre-draft narrative got skewed to where Meyer was just the name atop the board that more people knew. Uh, let's be honest, like most Tigers fans have not seen either of these kids play. I haven't seen either of these kids play in person. I'm basing this off scouting reports and talking to a few people and watching YouTube videos. Like I, I don't like evaluating baseball prospects is really hard. And I think if more people knew about Job, if he wasn't kind of a late riser, uh, the reaction wouldn't have been so intense to this pick. I don't think he's a bad pick at all. Uh, I think getting Ty Madden, we'll see. I think he fell for a couple reasons, maybe money, maybe because he's really kind of a two-pitch starter. There's some pretty high reliever risk, but I think he's going to be a good pitcher even if he is a reliever. And then I like Isaac Pacheco a lot. I like him uh, every bit as much as Brady House, who we were thinking the Tigers might have selected um, at number three. Like I think Pacheco is a left-handed house who's ar ar arguably more mobile and has a better swing. Now, a lot of swing and miss, a lot of chase, but some big-time power potential there. I, I like the Pacheco pick a lot, and then you get a deep draft of pitchers. Um, I, I think grades are kind of silly, but I'd give this draft not as strong as last year's class, but a B plus or a minus, I think you can come away feeling really good about, about what you got. Yeah. The, the Pacheco thing was, was interesting because so the couple of years ago, the Tigers draft Riley green and he's a corner outfielder. He still may end up being a corner outfielder, but the Tigers say we're going to play him in center. <laughs> and then last year they take Spencer Torkelson, a first baseman, basically by every measure and they announce it as a third baseman and we're going to want to play him at third base and so and so then they draft this year pacheco who's a shortstop who uh like house is projected will probably end up at the corner that's like basically the second sentence anyone said when they drafted him as was uh he's a good kid good swing blah blah blah, blah. we'll likely end up in the corner at, at uh at third base but I assume they're just going to play him at shortstop until he can't anymore. And, you know, there's your prep shortstop right there, I guess. Is, you, know, you got your pitcher and you got your prep shortstop. Yeah, yeah, and that's another, like, the Tigers were right in that Riley Green was a better outfielder than anyone ever thought he was. Uh, now, is he your everyday center fielder? I don't think so. I think he's a pretty dang good outfielder, definitely better than people thought. It has not hurt to give him some time and center in the minor leagues and he might play some games and center at the major league level. Um, the Twerkelson thing again, I think we always knew he was more likely to end up at first. The Tigers are already starting to kind of admit that, but you know, playing him at third for the whole, you know, wins above replacement value. 
I got the logic of it, and now that he's already back to first, it's kind of like, okay, like, it really didn't hurt anything to try it, but it was also, was this a waste of time? That's <laughs> that's going to be the thing with Pacheco, the Scott, the Scott Plyce quote, you know, the Tiger scouting director. He can play short. He's such a big guy, he'll probably end up going off shortstop, depending how his body goes. We think he's going to play short. If he had to go to third, he'd be a plus defender with a plus arm and power from the left side. You know, and someone, someone like, quote, tweeted it and said something to the effect of, well, I'll just pull this up because it was hilarious. Um, shout out to Brett Yoder, he's, who said, to be clear, he can play short, but probably won't play short. <laughs> but we're going to play him at short, maybe. But when we don't play him at short, he'll be awesome at third. <laughs> exactly. I guess it doesn't hurt to, uh, to play the kid at shortstop just to see. I think there can be some misperceptions among scouts that, oh, just because he's 6'4", like he can't be a shortstop. That's not necessarily true. Uh, the little video I've watched, I, I was pretty impressed with the kid's mobility. Now, to be an everyday shortstop in the major leagues, you better be really good on your feet. You better be a very good defender. All things considered, this guy's probably going to end up at third. So is it worth experimenting at short, or is it worth just putting him at third that's that's actually kind of i think a tough discussion if you are uh, if you're in the player development realm um and and versatility also can be important and aj hinch likes versatility so i don't know that it hurts to experiment i think it's just more like we shouldn't say this guy's a shortstop if he's not i think we should be realistic and say he projects better long term at third we might play him at short a little bit in the minors just to see just to give him some versatility but let's not call him our shortstop if he's not a shortstop. I think it, it comes down more to kind of how you market it as much as anything. Sure, sure. And uh, what would you make of going so pitcher heavy, uh, particularly right-handed pitcher heavy in the in those later rounds? Yeah, I, I think the Tigers, as much as we still think about the Tigers needing bats, when you look at this draft, you're really thinking, okay, 2025, 2026, like, Mize Manning and Scooble are all in the big le- big leagues right now. Wentz and Fayeto, um, upper levels of the system. You do kind of have to start rebuilding your pitching depth, and I think this draft is a way to do it. Scott Pleist claims that wasn't really the Tigers' philosophy. It was just how the draft board shook out. I think it was probably some of both. I think I would have liked this draft more if they got, uh, like, one more promising hitter you know, maybe around the fourth or fifth rounds. Uh, Plyce said there were some guys they liked that were just off the board, and the best player available ended up being a pitcher. I think you get some interesting guys, like this Dylan Smith from Alabama, the Colep kid from Notre Dame, um, this Madison kid from Bryant University. It was interesting. They picked a lot of a lot of guys who throw sliders, a lot of guys known for their spin rates. I, I wonder how much Chris Fetter and just kind of the Tigers overhaul pitching philosophy played into the profile of pitcher they were going after all righties is kind of interesting a lot of college seniors is kind of interesting i think there were probably more college seniors in this draft since last year's draft was five rounds a lot of kids had their uh lost their junior seasons of college ball um i would have liked to see another hitter or two but but also hopefully you get some pitching depth for kind of this this next wave of pitching depth that you need in your system Hopefully, a couple of these kids pan out and can uh, can help you out in the years to come. Yeah, I, I I did notice the senior thing, and I didn't really see anyone talking about it. the The point about a lot of these guys might have gotten drafted last year, but because of the shorter draft, they didn't slash didn't get to show them in their show their skills as an upperclassman. That's a good point. Uh, I wonder if the Tigers didn't necessarily want to negotiate all that much, uh, with someone who had yeah. some, some college, uh, eligibility left. I wonder if, you know, maybe this, maybe this was a small role that, uh, name image likeness in college sports played a little bit of a factor because these kids would have a little bit more leverage, uh, you know, to, to go back to school and still be able to make some money. Um, and so I, I, I wonder if, it is just me thinking out loud, but it did strike me as kind of interesting that I don't think outside after Pacheco I don't, and Job, I don't think they took an, anyone that was not a college senior. I, there might have been one or two, but like for the most part, it was like all college seniors. So I just kind of found that interesting. I wonder, I wonder if any of that stuff kind of played into it. So, 
So yeah, well, I mean, it's the, the funny thing about the baseball draft is we talk about it, we debate it. Some people get angry, and no one's going to be proven right or wrong for like four years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, quick note that you like. Uh, we talked about Alex Mooney, the the shortstop out of Orchard Lake St. Mary, um, best prep player in Michigan. The Tigers liked him. Um, I have I've heard through uh, some sources that obviously he wasn't. You know, he he had made known he had a pretty high number. He wanted to honor his commitment to Duke. The Tigers liked him. I got the sense they had enough intel to just know he wasn't going to be signable. There were a couple other teams that, that tried pretty hard for Mooney during the draft, and his number was just a little bit too high. Or he even said, uh, I think he told some people, I'm going to bet on myself, you know, which is a, a phrase we like on this podcast. So he thinks he's going to go to Duke and maybe get drafted even higher here in three years. I think it's pretty risky because it sounds like he got offered a pretty good haul of money. Uh, that's a lot to turn down. But at the same time, hey, Props to the kid for for betting on himself. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you he did a bad thing by going and being a scholarship athlete. Also, uh, also that get, he'll be just fine. Get a free, get a free edu. Uh, it's not free for baseball players, but you know what I mean. Like you know, get get your education more or less taken care of at Duke University. I mean, that's that that's highly valuable. He's gonna have a good time at that school, as I would imagine. And uh, there were a couple other guys similar. I'm not going to remember this, but they were like Clemson football players. They were going to yeah. play football and baseball at Clemson. And they were first round-ish type prospects, but they made it known they had a high number. And I think they ended up getting taken in like, you know, like the 15th round or, you know, someone just kind of drafted them to draft them. They're, they're going to, they're, they're, they got training camp coming up there. They're, they didn't, I don't <laughs> think they really cared all that much. So it's interesting. It was fun. It, it definitely... It definitely the Tigers gave us a gift by doing the uh, the po- by making the polarizing move. So I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> like what what did you what did you say when we did our draft pros- uh, podcast? You said, "Don't tell me the baseball draft ain't interesting." <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was was that not fun? That was such a fun draft. Yeah, it was it was a really good time. I I enjoyed it a lot, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. That little 15, 20 minutes of fodder that we had immediately afterwards. So, uh, Cody, uh, why don't you give the people a little bit of a vehicle update, and then I have a life update as well, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. All right, yeah, the, the vehicle for listeners, the uh, the Jeep Compass that was lost in the flood. It's been, it's been a long and slow process. If I were giving Yelp reviews, Gotch and Sons towing in Detroit would get uh, – one or zero stars. They made the process uh, with my insurance company, just getting it towed from from there to a shop. Very, very difficult. Uh, and I, they're also under state investigation for price gouging. So <laughs> um, zero stars for Gotch and Sons Towing. I have Progressive Insurance. They'd be, uh, you know, four to five stars. They've actually been very helpful for being a major influ- insurance company. It takes a while to get people on the phone, but um, they really have, have been good every step of the way. The car finally got taken to a shop. It is totaled. Uh, the progressive is going to give me a, uh, a fair deal, or as my colleague James Edwards would say, a bag for the car. So going to, you know, going to get, uh, going to get some cash there toward a new car. Now there's this process of like sending in the title and, uh, they're like very complicated. I like scratch something out which apparently invalidated the entire paperwork so they have to send me more papers and so like how long before i receive this money in my bank and can go purchase a new car hopefully a ford mustang although the used car market is not good right now i don't know we're we're still probably at least a week or two away but we're making some progress there uh the dating life had a very good date a couple weeks ago like many of these other women, she she decided she was not over her last relationship and was not ready to be dating. So um, another one who's just not quite emotionally available. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Might might have to take a break from the dating game because it's it's just getting frustrating and discouraging. And those are those are my life updates. Haven't even been able to grill because it's been raining like every day. So uh, that hasn't been great. Hopefully we'll get back on the grill soon. Yeah, you know, the whole uh, not over my ex thing, 
I, I, I ran into that several times in my youth. And uh, I know for a fact I've never been that other guy where, like, like because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, cause my college girlfriend got with a guy, like, 10 days later, and they're now married and happy. So good for them. But uh, she was definitely emotionally available uh, right afterward. I, th- I think we have, we have receipts on that. So it's all well and good. Uh, my life update is, as, as you've noted, as the listeners can probably remember, uh, have quite a bit of animals in our house. Uh, we got a new one. We got a cat on Friday. Uh, my fiance, as, as you guys know, is a veterinarian which uh, is like a gambling addict living in a casino. So <laughs> she, she, she uh, a cat came in, it was a stray cat, and it had a fish hook in its mouth. And no, no one, it's not chipped or anything, it's a little kitten, uh, not chipped or anything, and the person who brought it in didn't want to keep it, so it's you know it's either so it was gonna go to the shelter. So I got, I got the the cute picture text, and and then I got a call, and so uh, you know I I I honestly I don't say I don't say no to this because you know she runs my life. Like I don't know, like what am I supposed to be to tell her no? No, she runs my life. So if she wants it, I'm all for it. It's a male cat. Uh, it was born approximately, as best you can tell, approximately early April. So we have named him Miggy after Miguel Cabrera, and he was, and we're just gonna say we're gonna say his birthday is April first, the day Miguel Cabrera hit the opening day home run in the snow. So we have another addition to our family another little siamese ish cat very very cute cat is uh I'll, I'll post some a picture on 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 twitter uh you guys can see but we have a new addition in our life miggy the cat that's adorable you're gonna run out of room for these animals though soon just <laughs> wait until wait until you get a third dog that's got to be coming soon yeah it probably will. It's like my mom goes. So when are you gonna make an addition on the house? <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, no, no. You don't make the addition because then you have room for it. Like you, <laughs> there's only so much. And her dad was like, I can't believe you let her do that. I was like, what power do I have here, dude? Like, That's I got no true. power. That's true. <laughs> I have no power. So. All right, Cody, uh, you got to run to Comerica Park to see if the Tigers can complete the sweep of the Twins. Uh, some good past, present, future talk in this podcast. Uh, glad that your your car situation is nearing its completion. And, um, you know, I echo the sentiments from, from the listeners, man. Keep at it with the dating life. You never know. We'll see. You never know. We'll see. You just never know. Sometimes you try you to reach know. out and apologize to your friend, and you get no response. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> it happens from time to time. So, all right. On on some great anecdotal notes, we're going to wrap up there. <laughs> for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate it, and enjoy your week.